Well, good morning. Last January, I went on a duck hunting trip with my friend Sloan, who is one of the elders here at our church. And on the last morning of our trip, we woke up and it was a toasty nine degrees. And I forgot to tell you, we were in Tunica, Mississippi, and it is nine degrees, and so we're really wondering how this is going to end for us. And so we go and meet up with our, our guide uh, at his house, and a bunch of other guys are there, and he proceeds to explain what happens in Tunica, Mississippi, and you decide to go duck hunting, and it's nine degrees. Apparently, when it's that cold, everything's frozen. Duh, right? Everything but moving water is frozen. And so there's only one big piece of moving water in Tunica, Mississippi, and that is the Mississippi River, right? And so he then proceeds to explain that we're going to do this very safely. I hope you see the irony in this, right? (laughs) Nine degrees, but we're not going out in the dark. Because if you go out in the dark, then you really risk like hitting the wake of a barge or these huge logs and pieces of driftwood that, that are floating out in the water. And so we're going to wait until it's daylight, and we're feeling, okay, this is really good. Well, somebody asked the, the, the smart question about whether or not he has life jackets, and the guy kind of laughs it off. He's like, yeah, we've got life jackets, but really the only good they're going to do you when it's this cold is to help the authorities find and locate your body if you go into the water. And some guys that were with us the day before that we had hunted with the next morning, that was it. I mean, they were out. When they heard that, I think that in their minds they were like, this is not worth the risk. We're, we're out. We are not going to do this. Well, Sloan looks over to me, and he, he kind of looks at me. He said, without even asking my opinion, right? Like, I've got a thought in this. He looks at me and goes, Hey, you're loving this, aren't you? And I went, yeah, I am. I was like, man, we've got the opportunity to be like Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer this morning in Mississippi. We've got to go for this, right? This is an adventure, right? Chance of survival is kind of lowering. Chance of risk is higher. Let's do it. And so we did. And it was awesome. And it was a lot of fun. And we clearly made it. But it was a big, 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 big risk. Enough so that the guys that were with us, they were out. They weren't going to take that risk. It was too risky for them, but it was not too risky for us. And if you think about it, every day we take risks. Every day, big and small, we take risks, lots of risks. And this morning we're talking about taking risks, but not just business risks, right? We're not talking just about a risk in business or a risk of getting in a car and driving somewhere, or a risk of flying somewhere, a risk of traveling somewhere. This morning we're talking about risk in relationships. And we're in the middle of a series entitled Hard to Say. And it's a short series that we're we're talking about. But, But we're dealing with the phrases that we as Christians have a hard time saying. And so last week, Pastor Tim talked to us about the phrase, I'm sorry. And if you remember, he just encouraged us to, to put aside our pride and to pursue forgiveness. To pursue forgiveness in our relationships. And so this morning, we're, we're tackling another hard-to-say phrase. 
And the phrase that we're tackling this morning is, ouch, that hurt. Ouch, that hurt. And so my question for you this morning is, why is it so hard to tell someone that they hurt you? Why is it so hard to tell someone that they hurt you? Right? Is it because we're good Southerners and we like to save face and so we don't like confrontation or, or you know, like to look nice and smile and say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir? Is that why? I think it's got to be bigger than that, right? I think that the reason it's hard to tell someone they hurt you is because it is a huge relationship risk, isn't it? I mean, think about it. It's dangerous business for me to come to you and to say, what you said or what you did hurt me. It's dangerous business. You say, why? Well, it could not go well. I mean, think about it. You may not respond the way that I'm hoping you respond. You may not own it. You may deny it. You may just brush me off and cause me, you know, just call me sensitive. Well, then what am I left with? Well, not only have you hurt me the first time, but now you've hurt me again. And furthermore, I'm all mixed up, right? And you, maybe you've had this happen to you. If you have, you know what it's like. All of a sudden, you're, you're all domed up. I mean, you don't know what to do. Because at this point, now this person has said that, that you're not right. And so you start thinking, well, maybe I didn't hear them correctly, right? Maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I'm being real sensitive. And then you start feeling guilty for saying something in the first place, right? And it just spirals out of control. And so the big question for us this morning is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I think the answer is a resounding yes. And as we'll see this morning, telling someone they've hurt us is not only worth the risk, but there are risks in not saying, ouch, that hurt. From Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 20, going through 32. This is what Paul says. He says, but, it is, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on your new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are all members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Would you pray with me? Father, would you open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes this morning to your word? Would you empower us by your Holy Spirit to be a people who learn to gently be honest and confront 
our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Paul is writing the book of Ephesians from prison. And he's writing to the church in Ephesus. And there's a couple main points that Paul has throughout his letter. And one of the big overarching points that he's stressing is that Jesus is reconciling everything to himself. Right? That's one of the major points. And then the second kind of major point in Ephesians is the unity of the body of Christ. And so Paul stresses that all throughout the letter. And in chapters, the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul lays out our new life in Christ. And then in 4 through 6, he begins to unpack what that new life looks like under the umbrella of unity of the body. And so we're, the passage that we're looking at this morning, while Paul is not dealing specifically about how to confront your fellow Christian like Jesus does in Matthew 18, Paul is giving us principles about peaceful living. And part of living peacefully, peacefully in unity with one another is learning how to confront one another. And so as I said earlier, we're looking at the risks this morning, not the risks of confronting, because we know what those are. But the, what are the risks associated with not confronting someone? And so we're going to dive into different risks associated with not confronting our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if you look at the first one, it's the, number one is the risk. We risk our new life. And if you look at verses 20 to 24, what is Paul talking about? He says, that's not how you learned Christ. He says, you've heard about Jesus. He's, and he uses this image of put off your old self, which belongs to your former way of life. And he put on your new self. Be renewed by your mind. Now, before we come to know Jesus, Paul uses some pretty strong language earlier in Ephesians in chapter 2. And he says that we were dead in our sins, that we were enemies of God. He says that you were slaves to sin, children of wrath. But then he, cl- he comes right behind that and he says, but, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses. And so you see this beautiful picture in Ephesians 2 uh, of the life transformation that's happened. And so now he's saying that the life we have now, the new life is created in the likeness of God, in His true righteousness. That's pretty awesome news for people who used to be God's enemies, right? And if you've read any other parts of the New Testament, you know in 2 Corinthians, Paul uses this metaphor again of taking off and putting on. This is that when we come to know Jesus, he says in 2 Corinthians that we're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so again, he calls us to take off the old self and to be renewed and put on the new self. And so, if you think about it, by not confronting someone who has hurt you, we risk not living out our new life in Christ to the fullest. We risk falling back into this old life. And we miss the new and better life. Because we know what happens when we don't confront. We know what happens in our hearts and our lives and the bitterness and the anger that can begin to boil and fester inside of us. And so is it worth saying, ouch, yes. And so the first risk 
of not confronting is that we risk our new life. Number two, the, new, the second risk by not confronting someone is that we risk living a lie. If you look in verse 25, Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And so he starts with this negative. And he says, put away falsehood. And what Paul is saying here is not just saying don't lie. It's not just don't lie. But put away all falsehood, all non-truthfulness. And then he follows it up with this positive, and he says, Pursue truthfulness. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Live a truthful life. And he's promoting unity within the body of Christ. And if the body is to live in harmony with one another, then there is no place for anything but truthfulness. The old has gone. The new has come. We no longer live independently. We are a part of the whole, the whole body of Christ. And you say, well, now how is not telling someone they hurt me, lying. Well, think about it. Pretending that you are at peace with someone when you are not is not truthful. It's living a lie. And we've all been there, haven't we? I mean, think about it. When was the last time that someone hurt you and they didn't acknowledge it and you just kind of pressed it down you didn't want to deal with it. You don't want to think about it. And what did you do? You, you just kind of put it down. Oh, it was okay. It's no big deal. You, you justified it away in your minds. And then you go about your life. Right? Until what happens? Until you see that person. And then what happens? Let's face it. You get weird, don't you? I mean, you do. If, you, if somebody hurts you and you are harboring that against them and you haven't told them, you get weird. They may have no clue. You avoid them at Publix. You're like, ah, you know, hopefully they don't see me. You're trying to get out of the way. Right? How you doing? Great. Good to see you. Liar. It's a lie. You're not being honest. You're living a lie. And especially if you're friends with this person. We're great. Good friends. Long time pals. Liar. It's not true. But we do it. We do it. And so is it worth saying, ouch, that hurt? Yes. Because we're called to pursue a life of truthfulness. We're called to pursue unity in the body of Christ. And we all know the emptiness of living a lie. Number three, risk. We risk giving Satan a foothold in our life. If you look at verse 26, Paul says, Be angry and do not sin. What? Uh, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. So 26, be angry and do not sin. Good luck, right? That's hard to do. And it is possible to do, but it's really hard. Because there are things that we as Christians should be angry about, right? There are righteous, there is righteous anger. We should be angry over sin and injustice and the things that breaks God's heart should break our heart. And it is okay to be angry about those, but it is not easy. 
for it to stay righteous anger, is it? And the longer we wait, often, it becomes easier and easier for it to turn into unrighteous anger, especially in dealing with relationships. That's why Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. He says, go deal with it. Go deal with it immediately. Why? Verse 27, so that, the de- so that no opportunity to the devil, so that the devil has no foothold. You say, well, how does de- Satan get a foothold in my life and in my relationships? It's easy. Go to sleep and see what happens. Because you wake up the next morning and what happens? The longer you go without confronting, the easier it is to not deal with it. At first, you start avoiding them, right? In the grocery store. And it gets harder than worse than just not sending a Christmas card because you're bitter. It goes deeper. You begin to harbor bitterness. And what's once, what once was small becomes big. And it starts to eat at your mind. And it was it becomes this, this festering unforgiveness that as Pastor Tim pointed out last week, living in this unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And that's what happens. And the next thing you know is that it bleeds into the next risk. And number four is that the risk of breaking down the body, when we give Satan a foothold, we risk breaking down the body of Christ. That's why Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only what is good and such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were all sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So when we give Satan that foothold, we risk opening the door wide open to break down the body and specifically break down the body of Christ with our words. I worked at a a summer camp for two summers, and when I was the rec coordinator, I used to, to, to take verse 29 here with me before every sporting event that we did. And I would stand up there and I'd read Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. And I would read that before every sporting event. Basically, what was I saying? Don't cuss. It's church camp. Right? I mean, essentially, that's what I say. Don't cuss, don't fight, and don't argue with me. I'm in charge, not you. That's what I was trying to communicate. And it is don't swear, and it is don't cuss, but it's more than that. And as I was reading this, it kind of pricked me. It's like, it's more than that. It's more than just just swearing. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. You see, in light of verse 27, right, if we give Satan a foothold, then we risk opening the door for our own lives to be polluted, but also for us to pollute the lives of others. Because think about it. If you don't, come, you don't go directly to someone and confront them and tell them that they hurt you, and you hold on to it and you let that bitterness simmer, then it starts getting really hard to hold it all in, doesn't it? And we need to talk about it, right? And so all of a sudden we decide that, man, I really need my small group to pray for me. Sarcasm noted. 
to pray for me as I'm dealing with this pain that this person caused me. Or I'm asking my close, trusted advisors, and I'm saying, hey, I need you to pray for me. This person really hurt me. And instead of going directly to that person, I'm going to ask my Sunday school class to pray for this person who hurt me. And what you're doing is not asking them for prayer. You're looking to gossip. And that's, that's what it turns into. Well, we can spiritualize it all day. But that's what it ends up being. You're not getting the opinion of your trusted spiritual advisors. You're using it as an opportunity to gossip because you've been hurt. And potentially even slander someone. And so not only are you living in sin by doing that and harboring this bitterness, but now you're dragging other people into it as well. And you're calling them into it. And so when we don't risk confronting, we risk tearing down the body of Christ. We risk being eaten up with bitterness. We risk dragging others into it. And friends, that is a lonely and empty life, isn't it? Is it worth saying, ouch, that hurt? Yes. But it leads us to our final risk. Because when we risk When we choose to risk not confronting, we risk, number five, missing the gospel. And if you look at Paul's final appeal in verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We risk missing the gospel. We can become so consumed with bitterness that we miss out on the beauty and the power of of being forgiven ourselves. We become so consumed with justice for the other person that we miss out on God's mercy and not giving us His justice. Being, Because remember, instead of treating us as we deserved, He treats us as Jesus deserved. And he pours out his wrath and his anger on Jesus so that we can have a new life. And we're given Christ's righteousness. And when we don't confront and when it begins to eat at our hearts and our souls, we miss the beauty of the gospel. We miss the power of God in our hearts and in our lives and our relationships and our families and our neighborhoods and our churches and our office places all over the place. I'm not just talking about big things. Sure, there are certain small things that you just need to let go. And you need to confront and address the big things. But there's also a lot of small things, too, that eat at you. And we're missing out on the gospel. Not only at work in our own lives, but also in the lives of those around us. You see, the gospel becomes our motivation not only to forgive, but to confront to restore our relationship to each other as we have been restored to Christ. So you may be sitting here thinking, okay, I get it. I should do it. But how do I do it? I think it starts with the gospel. It starts with remembering how much you've been forgiven. And if it's a brother or sister in Christ, it starts with remembering 
how much they've been forgiven as well. And if you think, just think about that. If you started with that when you went to confront someone, that's a whole new ball game, isn't it? All right? You come out guns blazing, seeking justice in a conversation, seeking vengeance and not reconciliation, you're going to start a fight. Maybe a bigger one that's already going. I don't know. But you invite me to coffee, right? Say, hey, can we grab a cup of coffee? My treat. And you sit me down and you kindly and gently say, I don't know what was going on in your life, in your heart. I'd like to know. But man, what you really said hurt my it hurt. It hurt my feelings. Or what you did really hurt. Hurt me, it hurt some other people. And you were wrong. You do that? Wow. Talk about reconciliation. That's beautiful. That's the body of Christ. That's the church. But it's hard. And so, but it does start with the gospel and being empowered with that. And then I think you go to Matthew 18, right? Which is the passage on how do we as followers of Christ confront one another. And there's, he lays it out. Jesus lays it out. You go directly to that person. You go one-on-one. And if they don't listen, then you take a couple of other people with you. And then you go to that person. If they still don't listen, you tell it to the church. And there's a whole you know, order of operation, so to speak, of how we confront one another. And so often it never gets to that third step. It never gets to the second step. It starts that first one, but you go directly. You go in the gospel. You go directly. You go quickly. Paul says, don't let the sun go down. Keep short accounts. Don't risk giving Satan a foothold. And you go kindly and love. So I, I know that everybody here, this may not necessarily be relevant at this point in their life, but there are some folks here who are struggling, who need to, to, to go to someone, who need to confront some people in their lives. So my question is, who is that? Who is that in your life? Is it easy? No. Is it hard? Yes. It's not comfortable. But is it worth the risk? Absolutely. Absolutely to be restored to one another as we have been restored to Christ.